Today's reading is from Luke 14, verses 1 to 24. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will he not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. But all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. But at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes, and compel them to come in so that, they, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jay. Um, and thank you, everybody. It's such a joy to be able to worship with you all this morning. In our Bible reading that we've just had, we've heard Jesus' instructions for the perfect dinner party. 
And last weekend, my wife and I were hosting, but sadly, I hadn't started preparing this message yet. So instead, we looked on Google to find instructions for the perfect dinner party. Um, Here are some highlights of an hour-by-hour guide we found. 8.30 a.m., wake up and pop a bubbly. Whether or not you drink alcohol, put something fizzy in a flute. Toast to the host. That's you. It's basically your birthday. Uh, 10 a.m., skipping forward a bit, stroll leisurely around the grocery store for two hours while you have your house professionally cleaned. Um, Let's skip to the afternoon. 3 p.m., set the table with elegant place cards that have thought-provoking questions on them. Uh, This will provide hours of table talk. What do people misunderstand about you? If you could have a second chance at any event in life, what would you choose? Uh, Sounds interesting. 4 p.m., set up the charcuterie board. Trying to teach my one-year-old how to say charcuterie board. Um, 5 p.m., change for dinner. White jeans and a touch of mascara say, relax, enjoy yourself. 6 p.m., light the candles and get ready to welcome guests with a glass in their hand. 7.45 p.m., dinner. 9 p.m., turn your fairy lights on, signaling a transition. Serve the sorbet. Um, Mel and I looked at this, and that is the, that's the abbreviated list, and we thought it was fantastic. So we bookmarked it uh, for reference, and uh, then we completely ignored them all because nobody has time for any of that. So uh, instead, let's focus on Jesus' instructions for the perfect dinner party instead. Each command here comes down to humility. Humility. And if there's one verse that we should all leave with it kind of ringing in our ears, then it's, it's verse 11. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Around this central idea, we're going to find four dinner party instructions, four challenges to choose the path of humility. There's one definition of humility that I find particularly helpful. It's this. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not about having low self-esteem, it's about having an others-focused serving attitude. But I've got to confess that I find humility hard. I really do, I struggle with it. Pride just always seems to sneak in. It's really, really easy to look at life through the lens of me, So these commands are going to be challenging. And I think we should feel that. We should feel challenged by what we hear this morning. Don't try and dodge the Holy Spirit's conviction today. But know too that Jesus says these words while he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to the cross to die for our pride. He's on the way to the cross to give us the power to choose humility over pride. So if you're a Christian hearing these commands, listen to them through the lens of the gospel. We must obey Jesus' hard commands, but perfection is his job. We need to put all our effort into this, but Jesus will equip us with the power to do so. That said, here are Jesus' four dinner party instructions, four ways that we must humble ourselves. First one, humble yourself by admitting when you're wrong. Humble yourself by admitting when you're wrong. It's Saturday. 
It's the Sabbath and Jesus has been invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee. This dinner was probably a big social occasion. If you're invited to this guy's house, it's a sign that you really have made it. It's a big deal. However, Jesus is very much the outsider in this crowd. You know that feeling of going somewhere new where you don't quite belong. You can feel all the eyes on you. You can feel that sense of being watched. Like you you sit down at a posh restaurant and you're not quite sure which piece of cutlery to use for the fish course. All eyes burning on you, waiting for you to make a mistake. That's what Jesus is faced with here. Verse 1 says he's being carefully watched. And all these guests have their suspicious eyes on Jesus, but they've not spotted the plight of the man right in front of them. Even though they know he's there, they're acting like they can't see him. As the London crowds pass by homeless people without a second glance, these guests pay the man in front of Jesus no attention. The verses say that he's got a swelling caused by an excess of bodily fluid. It's painful, probably unpleasant to look at. But unlike everybody else, Jesus looks this man in the eye. He really sees him and doesn't look away. In fact, he draws everyone's attention to this man by asking the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Um, If you've been tracking with us through Luke's gospel, you'll recognize this is an issue that has cropped up a few times. This is actually the third time that Jesus has confronted the Pharisees with the issue of what you can do on the Sabbath. And time and time again, he has shown that true religion is not so much about law and ceremony. God's way is about mercy and compassion. Um, We heard a while ago now, because we looked at Daniel in between, but in chapter 12, um, the Pharisees were like mugs from my dishwasher, clean on the outside, but on the inside, full of the coffee grounds of wickedness. They were experts in the technicalities of the law, but novices in the justice and love of God. So Jesus is challenging them with this question for the third time. And by now, I'm telling you, they really do know the answer. They do. But they just won't admit it. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, Jesus says? And then verse 4, but they remained silent. Jesus then takes hold of the man. Uh, This guy is is used to people avoiding even eye contact with him, ignoring him out of embarrassment. Yet Jesus, in his infinite compassion, holds this man close and restores him to health. It's beautiful mercy. And again, he has a question for the other guests. If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Of course, it's an obvious answer to the question. But yet again, the guests are silent. Verse 6, they had nothing to say. Jesus has asked them two questions. Both times they've known the answer. Both times they've known they're in the wrong. But both times they say nothing. They refuse to admit that they're wrong. By exposing their failure, Jesus challenges us to be different None of us enjoys, I don't think any of us enjoys admitting that we're wrong. 
confronted with our own sin, it's far easier to join with these Pharisees and guests in stubborn silence. When challenged by our friends or our family, pride is going to present us with a million excuses, a million get-out clauses, and how much more so when the challenge comes from God himself. So let's ask ourselves, where have I neglected the love and compassion of God this week? Which needy person have you overlooked? Have you been putting off the convicting challenge of the Holy Spirit? Humble yourself by admitting when you're wrong. No more silence. Confess to the Lord and trust in his mercy. Uh, That's the first dinner party instruction. Uh, Humble yourself by admitting when you're wrong. And the second one follows on. Humble yourself by taking the lowest place. Here's what Jesus says in verses 8 to 10. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to notice about these verses. And the first is that Jesus is saying this because of what he's noticed the other guests are doing. They're fighting over the seating plan. Um, You know how a seating plan works in a wedding in our culture. You've got the wedding party um, on the top table. Close friends and family are in the tables like next to the top table. And then um, the kind of distant second cousins and uh, the random people that turned up without RSVPing, they're off in the distant corner right in the back. Jesus, the custom in Jesus' day would have been slightly different. Uh, It would be to have several low couches arranged in a U shape. And each of these couches would sit three to four people. And the host would be kind of reclined in the, the U, uh, in the couch at the base of the U, and the closer you are to him, the more honored a guest you are. Um, that's how it would work. And Jesus has noticed that all the guests, they're fighting over those seats towards the base of the U. That's where they want to go. They want to get close to the host. They want to get close to this prominent Pharisee. But instead, Jesus is saying what they should be doing is sitting at the ends. Now, The second thing we need to notice about Jesus' words here is that verse 7 identifies this as a parable. It's a parable. And as with all parables, we're not meant to take every detail literally. Rather, we're supposed to be looking for the one main meaning. So the point here is not Uh, wisdom on how to tactically advance your social status. That's not the lesson we're supposed to be drawing from these verses. Rather, the main point is exactly what Jesus says in verse 11. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The parable signifies far higher stakes than mere social humiliation or exaltation. We're going to see it in verse 14. Being exalted 
means being included in the resurrection of the righteous. Whether we are humble or self-aggrandizing here in this life has eternal consequences. And we're going to hear more about that a little bit later. But for us, first, where might we face this kind of temptation to social climb? What's our equivalent of picking those places of honour near the host at the base of the U? I really do love how relevant the Bible is. Because um, getting close to the powerful, the beautiful, the influential, the popular is just as much a thing now as it was then. Our world in its wisdom says, if you, want to be ri- if you want to be rich, get close to the people that are on the path to wealth. If you want to be popular, then get close to the beautiful, the charming. That's what this world says. And sadly, we do it. We all do it, I think. We do it in work tactically networking so that we can get ahead. We do it at the school gates, picking who we talk to so that we can get invited to the event we want to attend. We even do it at church. But this isn't the behavior of someone who follows Jesus. Yes, Jesus' path led to heaven. It led to exaltation. But how did he get there? He went there via the cross, via humiliation. So Christians, humble yourselves by taking the lowest place. In the next instruction, we get kind of the other side of the coin to this. Jesus' third dinner party instruction is humble yourself by inviting the neglected. Humble yourself by inviting the neglected. Jesus has been speaking to uh, the guests at this dinner party, but now he turns to his host, verse 12. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. That's an odd warning, isn't it? Um, Don't invite your family, because they might invite you back. Uh, Maybe that is a threat to to some people. Uh, But for many of us, dinner with friends and family is one of life's greatest joys, So um, what are you saying, Jesus? Are you trying to deny us something good? No. Here Jesus is just showing something even better than that. Verse 13. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is telling his host to rip up his guest list. Um, Next time he has a social, don't invite the the, the elite. Invite the neglected. Doing so is going to be a sacrifice for him. It it really is. There's probably going to be a few awkward conversations. What's this prominent Pharisee going to have in common with the poor single mum? Where's the common ground between this guy, this religious elite, and the unemployed person who's on benefits? Ripping up this guest list is probably going to affect his own social status as well. Like, without these social occasions, in a year's time, will he still be described as a prominent Pharisee? Probably not. And obeying Jesus on this will be a sacrifice for us too. It will be. Are we willing to rip up the guest list rather than focusing on tactically networking? Will you befriend the trans person at work? 
that other people avoid because they're not sure what to call them. Rather than waiting for the opportunity to speak to the popular parents at the school gate, will you approach the Ukrainian refugee even if they don't speak that much English? And rather than defaulting to conversation with people like you after church, will you push past habit and show this sort of generosity that Jesus commands here? And yes, of course, this affects who we invite to dinner. Um, It's not that we should never invite friends and family. Um, I've got family staying this weekend, so um, I'm not going to kick them out after this service. Um, But it's about knowing that there is something better. And Jesus says it is going to be worth it. Obeying his commands is going to be worth it. Do this and you will be blessed. Do this and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. If this life is all there is, then sure, social climb as much as you can, as much as you want. But Jesus says this life is not all there is. And I believe him. Do you? There is a resurrection of the righteous. And there is an all-surpassing reward for this sort of generosity that we see here. It's not that our, our generosity makes us righteous. Rather, our generosity is proof that we have been made righteous by our Savior. It's proof that we follow him. It's proof that our hearts have been changed by his teaching. So let's humble ourselves by inviting in the neglected. Now, uh, one final dinner party instruction from Jesus here. Humble yourself by accepting the invitation. Humble yourself by accepting the invitation. How would you be feeling at this point if you were the host? This dinner party hasn't really gone quite as you'd planned. A little bit of a debate is good for conversation, but Jesus is taking the whole room, the full 12 rounds, and he hasn't even finished yet. Um, Hearing about the resurrection of the righteous, one of the guests, um, he tries to diffuse the tension, I think. He tries to say something that everyone is going to agree with. You know those sort of moments, right? Um, Two of your friends have fallen out, and it's awkward. So you try and say something that everyone agrees with to show that we're all on the same page here. Verse 15. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's a statement that's obviously true. Obviously. This meal at the house of the prominent Pharisee, it's pretty great. How much greater will be the feast in God's house? And I wonder what this man was expecting Jesus to say in reply. Maybe something like, blessed indeed. I look forward to seeing you there. Um, After all, aren't these guests like the religious elite? Part of God's chosen people? Haven't they received the precious promises of God? But Jesus' reply is not exactly what he might have expected. His reply to everyone in the room is essentially, yes, it'll be great, but don't assume you'll be there. Pretty blunt from Jesus. Verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited Come, for everything is now ready. There's a two-stage invitation to this party. Do you see that? There's a save the date and a reminder on the day. 
And the guests uh, that have been invited here represent the Old Testament nation of Israel, which includes the religious elite around the table with Jesus. Ever since their father Abraham received the very first invitation, they had saved the the dates. They'd marked it on their calendars. And now God's servant has come to say that everything's ready. But all the guests have other priorities. They make excuses. I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. You bought this field without looking at it first. That feels like an error. Um, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I need to uh, try them out. They'll still be there after the party. That's a pretty poor excuse too. I've just got married so I can't come. (laughs) Bring your wife with you. She'll probably enjoy it. It's not that complicated. These are terrible excuses. And now that Jesus has arrived, many, certainly of the religious elites and many in Old Testament Israel, were making awful excuses. They had known that God's kingdom was coming for centuries. They had this date in their diaries. And now God's servant arrives to welcome them in. No thanks. I've got other things to do. So what will the host do? Verse 21. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And verse 23, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so so that my house will be full. And finally, the damning verdict on those who are invited in the first place. From the lips of Jesus, I tell you, not one of those who who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I think there are two applications here for us. Just because you've had the invitation, don't assume you'll be at the party. If you hear the good news of Jesus, don't just leave it stuck up on the fridge. Here's the invitation for you now. There is a forever feast in God's house. It's a perfect feast, so only perfect guests get invited in. But Jesus died to put your name on the list. And if you will follow him, there will be a place card on the table of heaven with your name on it. That's your invitation. And I've, just, I've not just made that up. That's real. That's God inviting you to join this feast. It's a real offer. But notice the four letters at the bottom of this invitation. R, S, V, P. Return a CV play. Just because you've had the invitation, don't assume you'll be at the party. We must all respond to God. We must reply without excuses, without delay. Yes, Jesus, please welcome me in. However many times you've heard the gospel, RSVP, you can do that today. And the last thing I want us to notice God only asks of us what he's already done himself. As he asks us to pursue humility, know that Jesus has walked this path ahead of us. He asks us to humble ourselves by admitting when we're wrong. Jesus accepts the guilty verdict even when he did nothing wrong. He asks us to take the lowest place. Jesus made himself nothing, being made In human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. He asks us to invite the neglected. And Jesus has thrown open wide the gates of heaven. Not to the elite, but to broken outsiders like me, like you. Jesus' arms are open wide. And so our arms should be open wide as well. Let's pray. Father God, these are challenging words. We pray that you would help us to pursue the path of humility. Please help us to accept the rebuke where we, where I am failing in this. But Lord, we thank you that Jesus says these words on the way to the cross. Thank you that there is forgiveness and grace and mercy for people like us. Please help us to accept the invitation and look forward to the day where we will all join in that feast with you in glory. Amen. Um, Maybe 